I'm Rebecca Deschwinitz, and on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation Board, I'm pleased to welcome you to Dialogue Gospel Study for September 10th, 2023, with Charles Inouye. Dialogue Chair Chris Kimball is co-hosting, and Michael Austin is running tech in the background. Whether you're a longtime listener or have just found Dialogue Gospel Study, we invite you to check out all that Dialogue offers at our website, dialoguejournal.com. There you can find previous gospel study lessons, other offerings like Dialogue Out Loud and Dialogue Book Report, as well as links to all the great shows on the Dialogue Podcast Network. We're especially excited about two new offerings there, a new podcast series with with signature books and Angels and Seer Stones, a Latter-day Saint folklore podcast with Christine and Christopher Blythe. Of course, you can also find the latest issue of the journal, along with the entire Dialogue archive. That's more than five decades of fabulous dialogue, scholarship, essays, poetry, sermons, fiction, and art. In the very first issue of Dialogue, founder Eugene England wrote, My faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. Faith and curiosity and awe continue to guide the work that we do. We invite you to support Dialogue's work and to help secure the future of the oldest independent Mormon studies journal at the donate link at dialoguejournal.com. For those live on Zoom today, as always, you're invited to post respectful and relevant comments and questions in the chat. We'll follow along on Facebook where we're all we're also running a live stream. Our teacher today is Dr. Charles Inouye. Charles grew up in central Utah and now lives in Lexington, Massachusetts. He's married to Ray Okamoto. And his children are Mei, Leaf, and Khan. He's a professor of Japanese literature and visual culture at Tufts University. Among his books are The End of the World, Plan B with Gray Cofford Press, and Zion Earth, Zion Sky with the Maxwell Institute. A collection of stories about central Utah will soon be published by, uh, by Common Consent Press as Hymns of Silence. Dialogue is also happy to have published his writing most recently in the summer 2023 issue with his poem Heart Sutra. Uh, most recent uh, Heart Sutra in the guest bedroom at dawn after the pandemic. Charles is a deacon's quorum advisor and works in the baptistry in the Boston, Massachusetts temple. Uh, also joining us and offering an opening prayer uh, and help participate in some of our online discussion is Sterling Adams. Sterling is a former board member uh, with Dialogue. Uh, he's currently living in Orem, Utah with his wife, Kiff Augustine, a place to which they returned after a glorious year in Europe. Over the last year, as he's been traveling, Sterling has had the pleasure of taking a Zoom-based seminar where Charles, in a way, uses the art of writing haiku to teach participants about neo-animism and how to weave deeper connections among humans, God, and nature. Uh, our discussion today uh, may also include my spouse, Peter Deschwinitz, um, and uh, he's also a sometimes uh, student of Japanese language, literature, and culture, um, and public health practitioner and family medicine doctor. Uh, as with any Latter-day Saint scripture study class, the views expressed today are those of the individual teacher and participants. They do not necessarily reflect those of the Dialogue Foundation, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or any other organization. The music to start us off is There is a Balm in Gilead, offered to us by Charles's friend, Adam Russell. Adam has a BA in philosophy from BYU and a master's degree in clinical health 
um, clinical mental health counseling from William James College in Newton, Mass. A licensed marriage and family therapist who works with adults and couples, his skills and interests also extend beyond professional boundaries. He has released his own classical art song album, has self-published a book for his photographic works, and authored over 300 works of poetry. So fun facts about Adam are that he has been on the Maury Povich show and claims to have perfected making homemade pie crust. Dear God, we give thanks for the opportunity today to gather and worship together as we consider in this hour a means of venerating kinship, ancestry within our own tradition, among our own families. We ask for the energy and courage to reach out to those whose families are endangered around the world, especially to those who are in jeopardy every hour, to the refugees and residents of Ukraine, Afghanistan, South Sudan, and everywhere where violence or hunger is disrupting community and peace. Bless us now with open minds and hearts as we learn together in this lesson. We say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here uh, with you this morning. Uh, and I know pretty much all of my participants, so that's great. I'd much rather have a discussion than than talk talk uh, the whole time. So please feel free to to uh, comment whatever. Um, I'll share my screen with you. I've made uh, some slides. I'd like to talk today about um, baptisms for the dead and um, what it means to be both baptized and, and baptized for those who have, have passed. The, the scriptural reference this week is in 1 Corinthians 15, and it includes uh, a, a scripture that has attracted a lot of attention because it kind of stands out as being the only mention of, of baptisms for the dead. And Paul raises the question, having talked about the atonement and the, the victory that Jesus wins over death, and he asks the question, well, why do we baptize for the dead if the dead don't, don't rise? I am a worker at the baptistry in, in the Boston Temple. And as I prepared for this lesson, I, I um, prayed that I would have something to say to you that, uh, that God wants us to know, God wants us to think about and. Last Friday was my my turn to to, uh, to take care of the proceedings there, and and I had an experience that I'd like to uh, share with you. The six o'clock session canceled, so um, I did some ceilings until seven. The seven o'clock group showed up, and. Um, we we went through the usual 
you know, getting people oriented, getting people the right clothing and so forth. And and there was one young man in this group <clears throat> who I could tell was was having a hard time. And the another one of the young women, I think, said to me, Well, he's he's sick today. He's sick tonight. He didn't get dressed in white clothing, but he did sit with everyone else in the in the baptistry. And um, as we were getting ready, I I thought that you know it, I should go over and introduce myself to see if he needed anything. I was trained in the temple uh, to be um, uh, solicitous to be, make the experience of the temple uh, one that people would remember um, that when an experience that people felt um, comfortable with. So I said to this young man, I said, I understand you're, you're not feeling well. Uh, is, is there anything I can get you? Maybe, you know, I was thinking maybe I'll get him some aspirin or something. And he said to me, do you have anything to eat? And I said, "Well, I, I'm not sure, but I can I can try to find something." So, I I left the baptistry and went up two flights of steps to the front desk. My friend Deb Butler was was there at the front desk along with another patron and Marcus Hutchins, uh, who is uh, one of the in the presidency of the temple. And I explained the situation. I said, "There's a young man downstairs in the baptistry who needs something to eat." Do we have anything? And then I learned that you know, we do have a few things. Usually they, they have uh, cookies, maybe crackers and juice for the nursery. But the, the woman standing at the, at the counter, unprompted, said, well, I have something here. And she opened up her purse and she produced this sort of high-end energy bar and said, would, would this do? And I and I received it from her, and I thanked her for it. And I went and took it back to this young man, sat down next to him, handed him the, the bar, and he ate this bar in the nursery. And as he was eating it, he, he, he thanked me a few times, saying you know, he was really, really appreciative of having this. And he, he actually touched my hand a couple times. And, and uh, the night proceeded, and... and and I uh, thought about, you know, what it meant for him to be hungry and in the temple and what it meant for, for him to get the, the food that he needed. So I want you to think today about the temple in terms of this story, about this young man. I didn't get his name. Uh, the, the group left before I could, you know, say goodbye to everybody, and we had to get ready for the next group. Um, and it reminded me the situation of, uh, uh, of an aesthetic of Japanese, uh, tea, of, the, of the tea ceremony called Ichigo Itie. Ichigo Itie means that you, you treat people as if you've never met before and that you'll, and you'll never see them again. And this is sort of viewed as the, the the ultimate, the, the proper way to treat people, as if you don't know who they are, you may never see them again, 
And therefore, you you try to do everything you can to to meet their meet their needs. Um, it occurs to me as I am involved with the baptistry that the baptism for the dead is teaching our young people how to be like Jesus in a very direct way, maybe in a more direct way than than anything else that we do. It seems to me that baptizing for the dead is doing something for someone that they can't do for themselves. And and that certainly is the essence of the atonement, what Jesus gave to the world. He referred to his own baptism as being buried in 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 this world so that he can do the the thing that he needs to do. In First Corinthians, Paul writes, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Whereas in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So my first little question for our group is is the what they think the relevance of this phrase is. By man came death, and by man came the resurrection. Why is it? Why is it by man? Why is why does Paul make that repetition? Why does he emphasize the point that by man comes death and by man comes resurrection? Any any thoughts? Anybody? Can't hear you, Sterling. I think you're muted. Thank you. On the first part, by man came death. Uh, I, I see in that uh, abstracting a little bit. It's by the natural world, by by the way nature is, comes death. That's 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 the reality around us. Then moving to by man comes also the resurrection of the dead. I don't see that the same. I, I see that's the the reference to to Christ uh, bringing that unnatural event out. So, yeah. a little bit of a, uh, a disparate, it's not parallel in some ways in that reading. So you're seeing the, the difference in the two. I actually starting with seeing the, the similarity <laughs> that, um, Jesus died as a man. Jesus lived as a man, and Jesus was resurrected as a man. And the reason I bring this up is because it's going to come up again later uh, in the lesson as we talk about uh, why we do baptisms for the dead, for the dead, and what that means for the dead to be baptized. So hang on to that thought. The atonement like baptism is a is a kind of death, but it's a death that does not lead to death. It, it's a death that leads to life. Uh, Chris, could I have you read this scripture for us? John second, John twelve two. This part on the screen. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. 
So the reference is to Gain. Um, and this is Jesus talking about himself. Is that is that the way to understand this? Uh, I have always understood it as an allusion to Jesus and to the death and resurrection, but more directly as a um, a use of the of the of the seed growing as a, a um, uh, a metaphor symbolic of our life of of change that can occur in our soul, in our life, in our time. Rebecca, chime in if you have any opinions. I'm just getting at the idea that, you know, um, the physicality of, of immersing yourself into water is supposed to be uh, an expression of death, right? Isn't that basically how it goes? And and here, um, Jesus is also saying that that it's 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 like being it's like being planted. That if you if you don't put yourself into the ground, then you don't provide. You don't come back. So I'm going to want to, I'm going to have us think about this idea of, of dying and what dying leads to, um, and that baptism is something that we do while we're in this life. And that's the reason why uh, we have baptisms for the dead. Somehow, baptisms don't happen for the dead. They happen on behalf of the dead. So the question I want to ask today is, is why, why that is? Why is it that um, the ordinance of baptism is something that has to happen by us for somebody or somebody else, and the and the idea, the greater idea, the metaphor, of course, is that it's a, it's a kind of dying that leads to life. Jesus himself showed the example. Of course, he conquered death as a living being, which is what Paul is saying in in First Corinthians fifteen. Um. So let's think about let's think about the uh, the way that Jesus thought about food. And and maybe that will help us get closer to the the uh, the question and the answer to this question of, of what does it mean to be baptized for the dead. Uh, we know that he made water into wine. His his mother uh, asked him to do this. He he told his mother, "I'm not ready to do this," but she insisted. So he made wine, and the wine was was really good. Uh, the, the visitor at the main visitor at the at the marriage asked him, "Why did you, why did why did you save the good stuff till the very end?" There's an interesting story where he and Jesus and his disciples are walking through the fields and they get hungry and they start to harvest uh, the wheat and they're criticized for doing so. Uh, Rebecca, could I have you read this passage? For at that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day uh, through the corn, and his disciples were in hunger and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy dis disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. 
But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was in hunger and they that were with him? But if he had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. So okay or not to harvest wheat on the Sabbath, Rebecca? Okay. <laughs> so so I'm struck by you know thinking about like something that is imagined as unholy being made holy, um, and and kind of. I have circling in my mind this coupling of by man came death, by man came the resurrection, um, and the other scripture that, that Chris read for us, um, and I, I and that they go together, right? That that death, the like what's unholy, then like opens up what's holy or is able to be made holy. Um, death can be made into resurrection the fruit can come forth once it's yeah anyway (laughs) i have like half formed thoughts about all of this sterling sterling knows knows this because he's been trying to figure out my my haiku methods but there's something really physical about baptism (laughs) and there's something really physical about about life, right? And and I think Jesus is trying to bring those together in a in a way that connects them. Uh, there's this interesting story about the fig tree. Do people remember this story? Um, Sterling, could you do us the, the honors of reading this story? Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. Yeah, this is amazing. So Jesus actually speaks to the tree and says, Look, no no fruit, then no life, and the tree dies. What do you think of this story? Well, it seems a little petty and vengeful at uh, at first look. And one thought that comes to mind as we're on this theme of, of the physical world is when you referred to the physicality of baptism, um, and then we've talked about, you, you gave your story about feeding somebody, and then you've used some examples from, from Christ about feeding, and, and here we have the same thing. It's a very much uh, tactile uh, experiences the natural world that's involving our sensory experiences. When it comes to baptism, you're getting in the water, you you fill the the cold water. Um, I've recently come from the Nordic countries where sometimes we do that at 33 degrees, and it's a, a very sensory experience. And so what I'm gathering from from this in part is uh, what, what I'm feeling from you is an emphasis on how much independent of maybe a dry, arcane theological argument that what's going on here is a very tactile, experiential religious experience. Absolutely, yeah. May I, may I say something to Charles? Yes, Peter. Yeah, um, I guess what I'm seeing from Jesus's words here is something that's similar to what Joseph Smith was doing, um, this idea 
uh, of a kind of severe Protestant um, ideal that split uh, the body and the spirit uh, and kind of made religion about um, rewards in a spiritual place or in heaven. Uh, but Joseph Smith seemed to be trying to move us back into a connection with the uh, corporal and the body. And it seems like Jesus is suggesting that religion is not about symbols, just symbols. It's about um, bodily affairs. Exactly. It's about, I, we, I could go on and on forever about symbols, but I always just urge to do so. <laughs> And, and here it seems to me he's doing something with nature as well and saying that humans are not really so different even than fig trees that even um there's we we fig trees are like human beings as well and joseph smith did a similar thing with snakes um talking about how um other kinds of beings have souls in a sense. I'm not sure if that's really doctrine, but there's a suggestion, I think, um, with Joseph Smith that uh, there's not a sharp divide between humans and non-humans. Yeah, so if, 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 if Jesus can say to the tree, no more fruit for you, he can say that to me, right? Say that to you. Yeah, one of yeah. the one of the people on um, the webinar, Marie Blanchard, says if a person does not help new growth and well being, the well being of others, they wither away spiritually, um, and that is reflected in the story too of Christ going through the field of um, you know wheat, uh, wheat, corn, whatever it is, <laughs> wheat, right, with with his disciples, um, and you know the Pharisees are like, you know, here's the law. Um, you know, what's a, what's the point of the law if it doesn't nourish people, right? Um, you have to be able to to partake, partake and be filled. Um, yeah. Is it appropriate? Read, oh, go ahead. When I read Marie's comment, um, which Rebecca just, uh, just uh, stated, and let me read it again. If a person does not help new growth and well-being in others, the person withers away spiritually. That made me think, Charles, and here's a question for you. You, you I think, suggested that baptism for the dead may be um, perhaps principally for the person that's actually engaged in, in that baptism, perhaps less so for the person who by proxy you're doing it, that this is a a ritual for the here and now to help the person engaged in doing that. And Marie's comment could help explain some of the, the reasoning behind that. Is that in part what you're thinking, Charles? No, I, I'm not <laughs> trying to say that it's, it's, it's all for the person in the water, but it's definitely for the young man and the young woman in the water. I mean, being at the baptism and working there, seeing these young people enter the water and doing this physical thing for somebody else is um, is just amazing to me. It's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful occasion to help us think about 
um, first of all, our need for nourishment. When Jesus said that the people um, who I, he invites, he talks about the supper, and he says, "I'm you know I've invited all these people, they don't show up, so I'm just going to invite other people." Um, that's a strong statement about whether or not we're willing to eat what he has to offer. But um, the point is that this young man who came to the temple, right, was fed with hunger. What does that mean? He came to the temple with everybody else in his ward, and he couldn't function because he didn't have enough to eat. And uh, Charles, I, I'm, I'm. That's such a strong image, and that that fig tree makes me want to make it very tangible. That is, to talk about not just the physicality of the experience, but actually doing something constructive. Uh, you brought him that energy bar, and I, I'm not, I'm not sure that any sort of uh, good thoughts or spiritually enlightened interpretation or understanding is is the production of the fruit that that fig tree was. I think it might be just bringing that energy bar. Yeah, it it raises the question of whether or not there should be a, a stash of energy bars in the middle. <laughs> And I think most of us would say that would be inappropriate, right? <laughs> Snacks in the baptistry. Um, but the fact is, you know, this young man needed that energy bar. And the only way he could get it is if he asked for it. Jesus, you know, continuing on the theme of food, uh, feeds the 5,000, um, and a miracle is is recorded, but let me ask you this question: What was the miracle? Was it uh, that Jesus miraculously took these you know, fishes and loaves of bread and and multiplied them, or and this is a alternative reading that my friend John Hoffenbeier presented to me? Maybe he said, maybe Charles, the, the miracle was that everybody had food. Like this, this young boy couldn't have possibly been the only person there with food, right? Other people had food, but when it came time to share it, he was the one who came forward and said, "Yeah, I'll share my food." Everybody else, everybody else didn't, right? And they kept their food. But seeing the example of this young boy, they produced the food. And there's not only is there enough, there's too much. There's just an abundance of things to eat. Go ahead, Stern. The way you're telling this, I, I hear it as a story about uh, Christ having this Japanese tea ceremony where people treated each other as if they didn't know each other and wouldn't know them again. Right, exactly. Right. Um, we don't know the people that we get baptized for, right? Usually they're strangers. So is, the, so is that woman at the front desk. When I went up there to the front desk, she overheard the conversation and immediately she reaches into her purse and pulls out this power bar and she says, 
why don't, can you use this? Me? And I thought, you know, this is certainly the answer to the, the prayer, that this woman had the generosity to do that. Jesus talked about this generosity and how we're connected to his generosity. We're the, we're the fruit, we're the, we're the branches, and he's the trunk. And without this connection, we go nowhere. Um, Jesus dies for us. Jesus arises from the dead, and then he eats. Isn't this amazing? Um, Jesus, it's recorded a few times in the Bible that one of the things that he does is to eat. Right. So what this means, I think, is that dead people eat. People on the other side eat, which means that people on the other side have bodies. Therefore, my thinking about baptism for the dead, that it, we do it for them because they don't have bodies, is actually probably not true. The one thing I think I'm learning now, because of this opportunity to teach this material, is to think that maybe that's not the reason we do baptisms for the dead. Um, and I can think of two reasons. One is the one we've already talked about, that by man comes death, by man comes resurrection. While you're still a man or a woman, you're supposed to take care of this stuff, right? And if you don't, then there's provided this way to, to still take care of it. But it's, it's a kind of human thing, baptism. Baptism is for people who are alive who want to be dead. It's, it's a way for them to be dead while they're still alive. It's a way also for them to stand in for someone who is not here, someone who is going to, has passed on, and, and, they, and now we're connected to the, the famous uh, passage in Malachi that Joseph Smith uh, receives from Moroni, almost the first lesson that he receives, that if the connection between the living and the dead is not met, then we're missing the point. So what is the relationship we have to the dead? Um, Sterling, you've been to my house, so you've seen this, but this is my this is my Buddhist altar and on top of it my Christian altar. And in here I have grapes from my garden. The idea of the Buddhist altar is that you you actually feed the dead. One way that you remember them is to offer them offer them food. Um, but of course, the food that we offer everyone is is the bread and water that is Jesus Christ, and His baptism is an acceptance of of His supper. If we love the dead, we will feed them with bread and water. Uh, the The term for the the uh, the celebration of the dead in Japan is is obon, and it usually refers to lanterns, but it also refers to the, a platter, a platter that you use to serve people with, that you bring food out on. These are also lanterns that are associated with with the dead. You light a lantern, you make a fire so that it tells the dead where you are, they can find their way home. And then after the few days of celebration together with the dead, you light a light and you usually take it to a some body of water 
and you allow that light to to guide the the dead back to their their homes. And in, in fact, the beginning of the obon ceremony became uh, originated when one of um, Siddhartha's uh, disciples had a vision of his mother in the next life suffering, and he was given permission to go to her suffering, go to her and, and ease her suffering. So to, to get back to where we started, and we're sort of running out of time, is we're never more like Jesus than when we're doing baptisms for the dead, right? And thank goodness that we have uh, worked into our culture this opportunity that we give young people to participate in this event that they probably can't explain, they probably can't really even understand, but they can actually participate physically in it in a way that prepares them, you know, for the challenge of dying and coming back to coming back, the, the challenges of finding enough to eat and feeding other people. <clears throat> this young man, because of the, that power bar the lady gave him, by the end of the hour, he had revived enough to go into the into the confirmation room and become confirmed for other people. But while we were sitting around, he, he said something that was really haunting to me. He said, they, they began talking about the first day of school that they had just experienced. And he said, it was awful. And I thought to myself, was it awful because he didn't have enough to eat? And if he was hungry and couldn't eat, just like he was hungry and couldn't be baptized, is he going to be hungry so that he can't live his life? How can we learn? If we're hungry, Jesus, Jesus was very food oriented, and he he knew that if people don't have things to eat, people can't learn the important lessons. And he asks us, "Do you have something to eat?" And it's the same question that this boy asked in the temple: "Do you have something that I can eat?" Peter, could I have you ask read this passage? Sure. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. Okay. Chris, how about this? And he, and he said unto them, Cast the debt on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. Rebecca? As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. 
Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. And Sterling. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Yeah, so So this is Jesus after he has died, right? And he's resurrected. And he's cooking bread and fish. And he 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 has the the guys come over and share this meal with him. And uh he makes a point of saying to Peter, Look, how how do you like this fish? Do you like it? You love it? You love it more than you love others don't love people. And if you are uh, my disciple, then you will feed those who are hungry. Let me end with my testimony. Um, I grew up in central Utah, as Rebecca explained, in a little town called Sigurd, Utah. This is where people who are <clears throat> returning home from the of the uh, incarceration camps in Wyoming and other places uh, stopped. Most of them kept going, but my father, this man right here, and a few others stayed in Utah. And they stayed in Utah to get away from people, to be alone. But they weren't exactly alone because they, they worked among people who are living in this part of the world, most of them Paiutes, Navajos, and and then Northern European uh, Latter-day Saints. And it was here that that I experienced um, a moment that I have never forgotten. <clears throat> I was a member, we, we were sent to the Sigurd Ward in town because my parents, although they were Buddhists, wanted us to have some sort of training. So they sent us to the Church and I remember that on uh, for the 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 Christmas program um, they put all the you know the folding seats around the edges. We had a we had the their nativity scene and we're dancing and then they brought out these these cookies and and the cookies were for me they they seemed like they're this big. I was maybe you know five six years old, but the thing about those cookies was that. The, the, the women of Sigurd Ward, in their poverty, made these plates of cookies, and they gave the same huge cookie to everybody in the ward. And there was no distinction between grown-up and kids, even, right? Let alone a distinction between, you know, we white people and those few Japanese people who, you know, sometimes come to our ward. And the fact that they <clears throat> should give me a cookie like this was was astounding to me. And I can say to you that I've never gotten over it. And when I read, you know, about Lehi eating from the tree of life and, and tasting this fruit that is so delicious he can't believe it, I know exactly what he's talking about. Because it's it's what these this young man at the temple, I hope, also experienced that that we have 
in life, this hunger. And if we're lucky, if we're lucky, somebody will give us the things that we need. And if we have the things that we need, then we're able to get on, be able to do the things that Christ has shown us as an example. And basically, it's our need to get something to have to eat and to give it to somebody else. And if we don't have it, to ask other people for it. And having been hungry and having been fed, I can't deny God's reality and His goodness. I know it just like I know I ate that cookie. I know it just like I know I was baptized. I know it just like I know that when I, when I uh, do what God wants me to do, when I feel the Spirit and I respond to it, I feel it. Just like I felt it back when I was a kid eating that cookie. It's the same feeling, same feeling of being tremendously blessed. And it's what I want for me. It's what I want for my family. It's what I want for this young man in the temple. I'm, you know, I, I don't know who he is. I, maybe I need to track him down and make sure that he has what he needs. But it occurs to me that I don't need to track this guy down, right? All I need to do is do good by my wife and my kids and all the other people that that God has put around me. And I say that and I leave you with my testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you, Charles. Uh, we'll go ahead and close this um, part of our meeting and invite um, those who are with us live on Zoom to continue a little more informal discussion uh, after Peter offers a prayer. Uh, everyone else, we're, we're also... Um, Happy to invite you to join us again in two weeks uh, with Paul Reeve, who will be talking about Galatians and Ephesians. Dear Lord, we're grateful for Charles giving us this presentation uh, about Jesus and food and the baptistry. And we ask that his words and the words of others today will uh, be planted in our souls and that we will bear fruit this week uh, and over our lives that will be acceptable and pleasing to you. And we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Greetings. My name is Rebecca DeSchweinitz, and I'm thrilled to serve as a board member at the Dialogue Foundation and as one of the hosts of Dialogue Gospel Study. In each episode, which we record live the second and fourth Sunday of every month, we welcome esteemed speakers from a variety of backgrounds to share their insights and perspectives on the Come Follow Me lessons. Our aim is to spark meaningful conversations about the scriptures, to connect them to our personal experiences and to our understandings and explorations of the gospel. To stay in the loop with our upcoming lessons and this opportunity to engage with Mormon thought, culture, and belief, be sure to visit DialogueJournal.com and sign up for our newsletter. By doing so, you'll receive updates and timely links to join our live stream lessons, 
Additionally, you can catch up on our past guests and episodes by subscribing to Dialogue Journal on YouTube, Facebook, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dialogue Podcast Network.